We are in the third week of this series. It's kind of the wrap-up week for us. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about uh, vital signs, the importance of life-giving connections in our lives, and what a difference that makes. And for the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how beneficial they are to us, and today we're going to hit on that again, but we're also going to talk about uh, how when we have life-giving connections today, how it blesses the world. And I hope uh, you're encouraged today as you're here in worship. Well, uh, today we're talking about the topic of consistency, and, and um, here I go again, my... my uh, dry mouth is not letting me say that very well today. So help me. Let's say it together. Ready? Consistency. There. See, it's not easy to get that out this morning. Um, how many of you have a desire to be more consistent than you are in life, if you were honest? Just go ahead. Yeah. Usually that's an aspiration of most. Most of us do not say, I'd really love to be more inconsistent in, in the way that I live my life, especially for the people around me. Most of us aspire to be more consistent. My oldest son plays basketball for uh, Northern uh, Middle School now, but in the Northern Basketball Program. And every year um, they have a fundraiser that they do, which was last night um, this year. They have a fundraiser that raises money for cancer, kids with cancer in the Hershey Medical Center. It's a great, it's a great program, really, really cool, amazing things that they do. Uh, but last night, um, we went out, we were a part of that, and I've got to tell you about last year at this event, first of all, clock goes back a year. Last year at this event, my son was in seventh grade, so we were just getting into the, the middle school basketball program, PIAA starts in, in seventh grade, and so I was the newbie parent there, and they were, I had never been to the event before, so they're taking, uh, you know, volunteers volunteers from the audience and I get pushed out as a volunteer and so I'm the first one down there, uh, you know, the goat and I, they bring me down and they, they have this baseball bat and I'm to put my head on the baseball bat. Uh, I'm to spin around it 20 times while someone beside me counts until they say the number 20 and then I'm to run to the foul line and to take a foul shot and that's, I'm the first guy, then I'm done, then the next guy takes his turn. So uh, I'm sitting around, I'm sizing, now I used to be a youth pastor for quite a while so I, I know games and I get the object, I, I wasn't naive enough to not understand where this was going uh, but I'm looking around and sizing up the competition thinking about uh, my own ability to handle um, uh, my balance after that. So I put my head down. These guys right beside me are looking a little older, and I think, I can do this. So I put my head on the bat, and I start spinning around that thing just as fast as humanly as possible. And it seemed like the guy who was counting for me was counting once every two or three laps that I took. I just remember thinking, come on, because uh, I was spinning around. And, and when I stood up after he hit said 20, Everything, I saw where the basket was, and in my mind, I began to sprint towards the basket. But in my body, I began to full, full speed head towards the bleachers at this direction, trying to go that way. And slammed into the bleachers, totally unable to stop myself uh, from doing this. Uh, and then uh, proceeded to spend the next two or three minutes wandering around the court like a drunk man until I could finally find myself on the foul line. And by the grace of God, I took and made my first foul shot so I could get off that court. I was like, thank you, Jesus. So got off the court after the first foul shot. So knowing that this had happened last year, you can imagine that this year at the event when they were calling for volunteers, I gathered my kids around me. I was acting very staid and there's no way I could, I was, I was trying to avoid being called out. 
So this year they decided to do it differently, though, and last night they say, hey, we're the, the, the leading shooters from each team. I'd like, we'd like their fathers to come down on the courts with them. Of course, my son's one of the leading shooters, so there I am, finding myself down on the court again. No, and thankfully this year it was, there were no baseball bats. They just put us side-by-side side on the foul line, and the two of us in a minute together, my son and I, had to see how many foul shots we could sink in a minute. And uh, so I thought, all right, I can do this. I'm not dizzy. My equilibrium is in check. I'm balanced. And uh, so we stood there side by side and the buzzer went off and and we started to shoot. And unbelievably uh, for me, uh, together we drained, each of us drained our first five shots. So it's like swish, 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 swish. And I'm thinking, this is fantastic. So uh, we're going through this. It's about the first 25 seconds. And then uh, there was a boy who was rebounding for me and he just threw the ball and it went off to the side. So I have to run over here to get the ball. And he did that because he's an eighth grader and he doesn't care. So... So I ran and got the ball, and I came back. And when I came back to the line, I could not do anything but brick the ball. It didn't matter how light I tried to put it. It was bricking, no matter what. So um, thankfully, my son continued to make baskets beside me. And so in this moment, I so desperately wanted to be able to be consistent and, and for us to finish this thing together. But I went five for five in the first 25 seconds, and I think then went 0 for 8 in the next 35 seconds after that. But it was one of those times where in life where as I'm missing and things are going dreadfully wrong for me on the back end of that, and my son beside me continues to make shots, it just felt so good to be partnered up with someone who was consistent <laughs> when I could not be in that moment. And so I was uh, thinking about that this morning on the way in. I thought that is a perfect illustration to open this message with today. And that that's what we feel in life. There are times in our life when we can't be consistent and we're banking on other people around us to help us be consistent or to be consistent for us. The definition of of consistency, which is not in your outline this morning, but I want to read it to you. It says, steadfast adherence to the same principles and course of action. Steadfast adherence to the same principles and course of action. Consistency is staying the course. Now, maybe you've had someone in your life, maybe it was a mom or a dad or a grandpa or a grandma or an aunt or an uncle who just was a steady person. They just stayed the course and you could bank on them to be consistent for you. You could depend on them that when you were with them, you knew what you were gonna get. Um, And weren't you thankful for people like that in your life? People who were just steady at times when your life didn't feel very steady. My dad was that kind of person. My dad uh, was not perfect, but he was a Christ follower and he loved God and he still does. And he, he lived that way in front of us all the time. Uh, he was consistent, he, he was optimistic, he was upbeat and he was hardworking. And those things were true for him all the time. And he wasn't rattled by things in life. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. Uh, my family was in ministry and, and oftentimes that we knew there was barely enough to pay the bills. So when it would come time to purchase the sports shoes or whatever it was that we needed, uh, we knew we'd be making a contribution to that. And then oftentimes I knew that it was hard for my mom and dad uh, to come up with the balance or what was left. And so my dad would find out what the need was and uh, then he would leave and he would come back a little bit later with whatever the cash, the balance was that we needed. And I remember a number of times different things saying, dad, I, I know you don't have that right now. Like, don't worry about it. I'll figure out a way. And I remember him just saying, oh, it's not a big deal. I just went out and dug it up in the backyard. Just take it. Don't worry about it, you know. 
But that was his way of being steady for us. He was like, look, this isn't a crisis. You know, yeah, things are tight, but we're going to get through. And I really appreciated that about him, how he was so consistent. And there were other times, every morning, he'd get up and make breakfast for us. He traveled a lot, but whenever he was home, if he was home, he was up before us, and he was making breakfast for us. And I can still picture him there in the kitchen with his uh, bathrobe, his open bathrobe, and his tidy whities and flipping the... I'm sorry to give you that picture, but I have it very clearly in my mind. We grew up in a home with all boys, except for my mom, so, you know, you could do that. Uh, but he was there every morning, nonetheless, making breakfast for us. And I can remember every, every day before we'd go out the door to school, my dad would always say the same thing to us. Uh, he'd say, hey, guys, either if he was dropping us off or if we were heading out the door, he'd say, hey, remember whose team you're on today? Remember whose team you're on? And that was always his way of reminding us that we were on God's team and that we were part of something bigger and that we had someone that we were living our life for and something that we were representing. And, and I say that to this day. There's not a day that my kids get out of the car or that they go out the door that I don't say, hey, remember whose team you're on today? Remember whose team you're on? I want them to remember a steadiness, just like my, my dad reminded me that there's a, there's a consistency, there's a, there's a steadiness in life that we can bank on, that we can depend on in the person of God. I'm really thankful that my dad was that kind of man. And I don't know about you, but the further along I get in life, the more I have a deep, deep desire to be consistent for the people who are around me. The more I long for, not just with my kids, but with the staff here at Daybreak and the people who work with me, I want to be steady. I don't want to be a person who's all over the place and who they don't know what they can count on when they, when they interact with me. Um, I want my family and I want the team here to know that I'm going to be a steady person. Do you, do you guys agree you long for that? The, the more you go along in life, the more you think, I want to be steady for those who are uh, walking alongside of me. And the Bible is really, really clear that God also desires for us to be consistent, to be steadfast to our principles and to the course of action that we're set on. I want you to take a look at the first couple verses that are in your outline this morning. The first one is from 1 Corinthians. It says, be on guard. Stand true to what you believe. You can underline that. Stand true to what you believe. Be courageous and be strong. And then Proverbs chapter 4 says, mark out a straight path for your feet, then stick to the path and stay safe. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. And you know, I read those verses and I become inspired. It makes me think, yeah, I want to be, I want to stand true. I want to be courageous and strong. I want to stay the course. Maybe some of you feel that way, but then what happened, what happens to us? We get out there and we don't, (laughs) we don't stay consistent because the truth is that we're not very good at being consistent when we're on our own. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at God's word and figure out together how living in community helps you stay the course, but also how living in community not only helps you, but it can be a huge blessing to the people and the world around you uh, that engages with you. So let's look at the first point. I stay the course in my spiritual journey when I fully grasp, number one, what community does for me. When I fully grasp what community does for me. We've talked about this for the past couple weeks, the benefit of being in community. Community has huge benefits for our personal lives. It offers a place of acceptance. It offers a place that we can call home, a place where we can be real. Community offers us the richness of authentic relationships with other people. It gives us the opportunity to go deeper because we talked about how Sunday morning is great here, but as we get bigger as a church, we need to get smaller as a church because we have two campuses and we have multiple venues and we have multiple services and everyone in this room is, you're never gonna have the ability to know and be known by everyone in this room. It's just not gonna be possible. 
But as you seek out community, as you're a part of something bigger, a bigger community, a larger community, but then you also find smaller community where you can know others and you can be known by others in that community. That's of, of vital importance uh, as you continue on your walk with Christ. So I stay the course in my spiritual journey when I um, understand what community does for me, for me. Community offers us this huge opportunity to move forward and just propel us forward in our relationship with Christ. Why does it do that? Community helps me live out my convictions and my commitments with consistency. That's in your outline. What do I mean by that? Community helps me live out my convictions and my commitments with consistency. Well, if you're like me or like anyone else, you probably have a lot of opinions in life. Any opinionated people out there? Just Okay, you don't have to say. My wife and I have different opinions about lots of things. Let me give you an example. My wife and I have different opinions about the way the dishwasher should be loaded. Anybody else struggle through this deep marital battle in life? Yeah. My opinion is any way they fit in there is just fine. Shove them in there as much as you can possibly get in there. She has a system, and in her system, there you know, glasses are here and they're lined up and you can fit them in just right and then you do the plates over here and it all, and I'm sure probably her system is what the dishwasher was actually built for. But for me, I just kind of like to just shove them all in there. And, and, and so we have very different opinions about this. Whenever I'm loading the dishwasher, I actually try to make sure she's not around because if she's around, then she's gonna come up and maybe start reworking my system and I, that's not good. So then my son and I have different opinions about how to scroll through the channels when you're watching television. And I have to remind him that when I grew up, you actually used to have to walk over to the television and turn the channel. And that was how you turned it. So I'm perfectly thrilled to use the little up and down arrows and just scroll through. It doesn't matter if there's 800 options. I just kind of like to just cruise on through. It's, it's about the journey, right? What if we miss some? He's like, dad, go to guide, please. Just go to guide. You'll find what you're looking for there. So we have different opinions about that. But I even have an opinion about which way the toilet paper ought to come over the roll. It, it's over, right? Amen. <laughs> okay. I mean, these are important foundational things in life, aren't they? But this is what I want to point out. We have tons of opinions about things in life, and you have to be careful to understand that there is a difference between your opinions and your preferences and convictions in life. And this is what I want to talk about. Convictions are different than opinions or preferences because convictions are guiding, principle, guiding life principles. Let me give you an example. A guiding life principle for me is that I believe that our God is a good God. That's a guiding life principle for me. So when life gets hard or life gets challenging for me and I'm tempted to think, woe is me, why me, why would God allow this in my life? I go back to a guiding principle in my life and that's that I have a conviction and a belief that our God is a good God and that if he is allowing me to walk through something and challenging, challenging in my life, that there's a purpose in that that's greater than what I understand and I'm gonna hang on to that because he is my God and he is a good God. That is a guiding life conviction. That holds a little more water than what way the toilet paper hangs off of the roll. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's different. It's not an opinion, it's a conviction. Convictions are what you hang on to when the world doesn't seem to make sense. We go back to what we know to be true in those moments. Convictions are the foundations that we build and frame our life on. Convictions are kind of like the reset button on a copying machine or maybe on your computer. And if you're like me and you, you don't know how to really work the machine fully well, you, you work it to a certain point and then you just want to hit that reset button. For me, my computer, if I can't get it to go back to what I wanted it to, I'll make sure everything's saved and I'll just turn it off. Sit there for 30 seconds, 
turn it back on and I hope that fixed it <laughs> because that's always, always my goal. My son just came to me yesterday and he's like, dad, the Wii is broken. The Wii, our, our game system is broken. I said, turn it off, unplug it, count to 30, plug it back in, turn it on again. I said, that's the best I can do. <laughs> Give it a shot. And it worked. It worked. So sometimes you have to reset and go back to the original starting point in life. And this is what convictions are. They're a reset button. They give us a baseline for our lives, a way to go back to the foundational operating system of our lives. So we need to know what those convictions are in our lives. We have to know what they are. But another important guiding factor are our commitments in life because our commitments guide our actions. Now write this down because this can be a little confusing. It's just six or eight words, so you can write it down. Convictions guide our beliefs. Commitments guide our actions. Convictions guide what we believe. Commitments guide how we behave. Do you understand that? Convictions guide our beliefs. Commitments guide our actions. Our commitments in life determine how we behave. Our convictions are what we believe. They're foundational. But then our commitments will determine how we act on those beliefs. If I have a conviction that I need to take care of the body that God has given me, then I'm going to make a commitment to take exercise or to eat well or to do whatever it takes because I have a conviction, a core belief that I want to take care of my body. And so in order to do that, I need to make commitments that I can act on. If I have a conviction that every person I lock eyes with matters to God, that every person is valuable, no matter what their socioeconomic status, no matter where they come from, no matter what culture they come from, if that's a conviction of mine, if I believe that, which I do, um, then I have a commitment to letting every person who I talk to know by my, the attention I give them, by the way that I, I interact with them, that they have value and that they have meaning and that they're not unimportant. Do you understand that? Your convictions need to guide your commitments and the actions that you take. Commitments are important because they're, they're actually evidence of the convictions that we have. And the thing that I've discovered is that convictions and commitments aren't enough in life. They aren't enough. We need community as well. And this is what Weight Watchers, groups like Weight Watchers and Alcoholics Anonymous figured out a long time ago. Now catch this. The way to stay true to your convictions and to your commitments is to partner with other people who are pursuing the same path that you are. The way to stay true and follow through with your commitments and convictions is to partner yourself with other people who are on the same path that you are to journey through life with them. That's why you need community to be able to step forward in life and to grow and to develop. And many of you are nodding your heads because you've lived this. You know that to be true in your life. How many times have you made a personal commitment based on a personal conviction that you've held, meaning it's a conviction, it's something that you believe, something you know is good for you or it's a good thing. So you have this conviction and you make a commitment uh, to it and then you've broken that commitment. How many of you have done that? All right, let's take about the next 20 minutes. You turn to someone by you and just share your failure in life. No, I'm just kidding. We're not gonna do that. But, but we all could. We could talk about this forever. Because we, make, we have convictions and we really believe these things and then we make a commitment and then we can't follow through on our commitments. So why does that happen? What happens to us? Do we wake up one morning and just decide today is the day that I trash all of my convictions and I don't follow through on my commitments? We never say that. What happens to us that keeps us from being able to follow through with our commitments? What happens is that we misbehave before we misbelieve. We misbehave before we misbelieve. We act contrary to what we believe or what we've committed to 
And then we feel guilty that we kind of hedged on our conviction. And so when we feel guilty, we have a number of ways that we can handle that. One of the things that we can do is we can just kind of load up on guilt and live in that miserable place where we just feel guilty about the fact that we've not followed through with our convictions, we've not followed through on the commitments that demonstrate that we have convictions. We feel guilt about that and we can just kind of live in that shame and beat ourselves up. Another option is that sometimes we tell ourselves that we've been good enough in other areas of our lives, like we have these convictions over here, and we've stayed true to those beliefs, and we've lived those out with our actions, so we can probably slide a little bit on these other convictions because we've been good over in this arena of our life. Um, We think, well, maybe with this person, for this reason, this might be more okay, or this is different. We talk ourselves into believing that this situation is different, and I'm justified in kind of hedging on my commitment or my conviction Um, in this arena of life. This is where the beauty of community comes in. This is when God's plan for us to live in community is so perfect. Connections with other people help us stay on on course in our convictions and our commitments because other people help us see where our thinking is getting off track. If we're not in community and we start to justify those things, we just go off track. If we're in community, true community, with other people who are heading the same direction that we want to head in life, then they're going to let us know, I think your thinking is off track. And they're going to help bring us back into following through with our convictions and our commitments. Look at that passage of scripture from Hebrews chapter 3. It says, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day as long as it's called today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Listen to this. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. The implication of these verses is that we all have the potential to be evil and unbelieving on any given day. On any given day, we have the potential of straying away from our convictions, breaking from our convictions and beliefs that our heart does, and that we also have a heart that has a propensity to turn away from God, breaking our commitments that we've made as to how this is the propensity that we have, each one of us. So what does the verse go on to say? It goes on to say, you have to warn each other every day. And the original Greek word that's used here is, it's a strong word. It means to urge or to spur each other on, that you're doing this in love and compassion, but you're urging the people that you're walking in community with. You're coming alongside of them. You're pleading with them to say, don't forget your conviction. Don't forget what you're committed to. There's a higher goal here. There's a bigger thing than what you're seeing is happening here. The word that's used here assumes that you have relationship with the other person, that we're looking out for each other, that we're helping each other follow through with our convictions and commitments. Many people ask when they come in and they're saying, look, I I see this person in my life and I see they're they're making a left-hand turn and I know it's gonna cause them trouble. Should I say anything to them about it? And one of the things that I always think first is how much relationship do you have with that person? If this is a person that you have relationship with, that you're walking through life with, by all means, please let them know. Let them know that they're off the track. Let them know that this decision could cause a lot of pain for them. But if this is a person that you don't know very well and you don't have any relationship with, you you ought to be hearing from God to make sure God is clearly telling you uh, to go and speak to this person about that thing because you don't have the relationship 
uh, to, to go alongside of that. I'm not saying it should never be done. I'm just saying you better know that you're hearing from God if you're not in that kind of relationship. So if you're a person who hasn't submitted yourself to that kind of community or that kind of relationship, there are all kinds of people around you who might be wondering, man, should I talk to them about that thing that's going on in their life? It just seems like they're really veering far away from what I thought they believed, but they don't have any relationship with you to be able to tell you the truth or speak truth into your life. Now, if convictions and commitments were enough, then none of us would have any bad habits in life because we'd be thoroughly consistent in what we believe and what we do. But we're not. We need community to help us be consistent. I need people who will speak the truth into my life, and I need people who I can speak the truth back to them. We need people who we're we're that close with that we're able to be truth-tellers in love to each other. Have you ever noticed in life that sometimes you have a a crystal clear insight into someone else's life? Like, I'm not even joking about this. Have you ever noticed that someone starts to share with you their plans or what they're thinking about doing and and inside you're just screaming, don't do it! Like, with with who you are and what's going on in your life, that would be like the dumbest thing you could do. Like, anybody ever felt that inside? Like, you've got this crystal clear insight into their life and you know that they can't see it right now but you can. You can see it so clearly and you so badly don't don't want them to take that step that could be devastating to them. Now, if you're smart and you have a relationship with them, you'll talk to them about it. If you're not, you'll go and talk to everyone else about this big step that they might be taking that's wrong, and that's not so helpful for anybody in the end. God wants us to be in relationship. It's true. Sometimes we have crystal clear insights into someone else's life, and sometimes God gives them crystal clear insight into our lives, and he wants us to be in community so that those words can be spoken. This is the beauty of what community does for us. It helps us to live out our convictions and our commitments with consistency in life. And we have some parents here this morning, part of our Daybreak family. We have some parents that on both campuses are saying they want to benefit from this kind of community, and I want you to catch this this morning as it relates to the message and God's truth for us today. There are parents here who have a conviction that God's way is best, so they've made a commitment to act on that conviction, to raise their kids in a way that helps their kids know and love God and walk with Jesus and follow him in their life. That's a conviction of theirs, and they're making a commitment today before you and with you to say, I want to live out this conviction. I want to behave in such a way with my life that lines up with this conviction, And they know that the best way to stay consistent is to do that as part of a community, part of a spiritual family. So they're going to come in a few minutes and they're going to have their kids dedicated to the Lord this morning. And I want you to have a chance to meet them via video this morning. I think you'll enjoy this video, getting to know some families from Daybreak that you might not know. As we get a little insight into their lives through the video, would those of you who are having your kids dedicated come on up on stage during the video? Let's watch together. Hi, we're the Hillmans. I'm Brandy. I'm Michael. This is Kaylee. This is Connor. Kaylee is our little love bug. Um, Kaylee is autistic, but she's a complete blessing. Um, She loves to hug. She loves to kiss. She makes a tremendous impact on everybody's life, whomever she meets. Um, She's just an absolute joy to be around. Um, Connor is our little daredevil. Uh, He is so quick and, and fast and He loves to clean up and he loves his sister very much and he is just another absolute blessing. Um, 
his smile is just amazing. And when I see them both smile at me, I just know that, that God gave me them for a reason. Uh, I want to dedicate, dedicate my children in front of my church family because um, I'm very thankful for the support that we've, we've gotten for both of our children. And I really want to dedicate my kids to the Lord because without God, I would not have them. And my blessings. Uh, I'm Mike, this is my wife Amber, and this is our baby Stella. Stella is such a joy. She is a very calm and laid back baby. She has a very pleasant disposition. She is very social and tends to draw people in with her big blue eyes and irresistibly pinchable cheeks. She is such a happy girl and we are so blessed that we are allowed to be her earthly parents. She is such a joy to us. Uh, we want to dedicate Stella because we realize that while we get to be her parents here on earth, her true father is in heaven and he loves her infinitely more than we ever could. We are committed to raise her to know the Lord because a relationship with him is the greatest gift we could ever give her. Hi, I'm Anna Sharp. This is my husband Ira and these are our children Liliana and Samuel. Uh, Lily is two years old and never ceases to amaze us by what she learns on a seemingly daily basis. She loves to read and sing. One of her favorite activities is to run around singing either made up songs or creating some really interesting medleys of some of her favorite songs. For example, she can go from Wheels on the Bus seamlessly into Jesus Loves Me and then transition right into the Yellow Submarine and it sounds great. It's really pretty entertaining to watch. Lily is also a very loving and nurturing big sister to Sammy. Sammy is five months old and has a really great personality. In general, he's just a very happy, sociable and pleasant baby. If you just give him a little smile, you've pretty much made his day. We have been blessed with two amazing children and, so are, and are so excited to be dedicating them today. It's important for us to dedicate Lily and Sammy in front of our church family because as we commit to raise our children in the ways of God, we want our church family to receive them into this community of shared faith and help us in our endeavors to raise them according to the Word of God. Hi, I'm Karen Schroeder. This is my husband, Mike, and our son, Tyler Joel. This is Tyler. He's five months old and he is just a really happy baby. He loves to smile and and laugh and just take in um, his surroundings and um, he just has a calm and, and relaxed personality that um, we just really enjoy um, just seeing how how much he's changed and grown since he's been born and we want him uh, to be dedicated today so that um, he can grow up and learn about the love of Christ from um, his family here at Daybreak. My name is Samantha, and this is my husband, Tony, and we're dedicating our daughter, Michaela. Michaela is c content and easy go going. She loves her dog, T Tucker, and laughs at everything he does. Michaela has brought us a lot of joy, and she, it, she extends us grace as we learn to be parents. We want to dedicate Michaela uh, as, a, as a statement of our faith and, and the values that we have as a family and the, the values that we're trying to uh, raise her with. Hi, I'm Christopher, and this is Christy, and this is our boy, Zane. Uh, Zane Owen Rolls was born November 16th, 2011. He's two months old and is a bundle of joy. He's starting to smile and loves to look around. It is important for us to dedicate him uh, publicly because we want to make a public statement of our intentions to teach him about Jesus and to have the support from our church family. Hi, my name's Jonna and this is my husband Tom. 
our son Alexander, who is three, and our newest addition, Catherine, who is two months. Catherine likes to smile. She loves when her brother plays with her and talks to her. She loves to sit up and be with everybody. And the reason that we're dedicating her today is so that our church family can help point her to Christ. Hi, we are Jamie and Pam French, and this is my oldest daughter, Allie, and my son, Zach, Tyler, and then Sydney is the one we'll be dedicating today. Sydney is two years old and was formally adopted into our family in December, but has unofficially been part of our family for the last year. She's very petite in stature, and with two older brothers, she has been forced to learn skills essential to her survival in our family. Her older sister provides additional protection when necessary. Her favorite activities are reading, playing games, and playing with dolls, but she prefers not to do any of those for more than three seconds at a time. She has also demonstrated some mad dancing skills, most likely picked up from Daddy. We are dedicating Sydney because we want to publicly demonstrate our commitment to her, um, to help her know Jesus Christ as her Savior and forgiver, and to guide her toward a lifetime of following Him. We're also inviting our church family to join us in our commitment by demonstrating for Sydney the love God's family has for each other and for the world. My name is Aaron Carmichael, and this is my wife Rachel and our daughter Kira. Kira was born November 13th. She is very easygoing, loves to sleep, and bounce up and down. She enjoys interacting with our boxer Allie, and she loves the occasional lick. She brings so much joy and happiness to our lives. We especially love her morning smiles. It is important for us to dedicate Kira in front of all of you so we can show our commitment to our church family and God. This commitment is a promise to raise Kira in a Christ-centered home and the connections we have at Daybreak provides us the support to make this happen. We are committed to each other and God to provide Kira the opportunity to find a relationship with Christ. We are excited to see Kira grow in her faith. Well, it's, it's great to get to know these families, and these are just the families that are dedicating their kids here at Gettysburg Pike. There's five more families at Good Hope Road. As you can see, some close-ups of, of them as they're uh, up on the screen, and so that up here, you probably just get some wide eyes, and they get a little nervous up here on the stage. But I'm Ryan Clark. I'm the pastor of children's ministries here at Daybreak, and uh, I'm so excited for having these parents and kids up here with me and for the child dedication. Kaylee is very excited as well, as you can tell. Well, even though all these children's, children are so young, God has already begun to lead them on a journey. In fact, David writes about this in Psalm 139. It started before they were born. You, he, wrote, he wrote, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. And then God chose these specific families to care and love for these children that God created. And now, a few weeks ago, I had an amazing opportunity in scrimmage on Wednesday night to pray with two second-grade girls. It, and it was the time that they accepted Christ as their Savior. Their parents were there, and I got to pray with them. And I'm so thankful I was a part of that. And those girls' lives will be forever changed now. And now, as I look at all these kids on stage... I know how much their parents want them to make a decision to accept Jesus as their Savior and grow up following Him. 
But this ceremony isn't just about these parents dedicating their children. In fact, it's about all of us, all children's ministry workers, all pastors, all daybreakers. We join together in this dedication because we all play a role in these children's lives and in these families. And I'm hoping God will use me to help these kids get to know their creator, but I'm also hoping that God will use each one of you. At some point in their lives, maybe God will use you to challenge them to follow him, and maybe you might be the one that will be with them and their parents as they pray and accept Jesus as their Savior. That would be such a great moment. Well, that's the reason we do child dedications here at Daybreak with all of you. And here at Daybreak, the dedication consists of four commitments. Kaylee's going to take a break. Her dad, Michael. So here's the four commitments on the screen, and I'm going to read them. And after the fourth one, I'll talk a little bit, and then you guys can respond by saying, I will. So the first one is, will you recognize God as the creator of all things and the maker of my child? The second one, will you give testimony of your personal faith in Christ as your forgiver and leader? Third, will you commit yourself to raise your child to point them towards Christ? And lastly, will you welcome the members of Daybreak Church to exert a loving Christ-like influence on your church and your family? So the last commitment involves you guys, Daybreak family. And so if you will commit to helping these families follow Jesus and point their child to Christ, please stand. You don't have to know them. You got to know them a little bit. But if you commit to helping them in any way, please stand. Great. Michael, you want to come back up here? Here comes Kaylee. Hey. I'll even help you get up the stairs. Here we go. Kaylee loves the stroller and rocking chairs. So parents, if you agree to abide by these commitments in front of your loving church family, please say, I will. I will. Great. Now I'm going to go through and say each one of your names. I have Kira Beth right here. Hi, we're almost done. We're almost done. It's okay. I have Kaylee right here. Kaylee Marie. Kaylee Marie, hi. And Connor Jackson. He's the man he wants. Very independent, I could tell. Hey, Connor. Yeah, you're getting dedicated. And Zane Owen. Zane's asleep again. You like to sleep, huh, Zane? We saw you sleeping in the video. And Tyler Joel. That was some good tongue sticking out in the video. Tyler, great job. All right, so I want to dedicate these children to the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for all these kids. We thank you for Kira and Kaylee and Connor and Zane and Tyler. Lord, we especially pray for them. I pray that you will begin speaking to them and just sharing a little bit of your heart. And I pray that they would accept you as their Savior at an early age. And I pray that we can all be a part of that in some way or another. If you call us, I pray we'll be ready to, to point them to you. Lord God, thank you so much for this church family and for these parents and for, and for the way that you've given us these children. And we pray that you would continue to work in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you. Great job, kids. Can you give a hand. Thank you. Great job, parents. You can be seated. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. Doesn't, isn't this just a perfect illustration of what community offers to us as families? 
You can stay and finish if you'd like. I, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think future, uh, future pastor material there. He enjoyed the platform. Maybe a little too much, but no. You know, community, this is such a beautiful illustration of what community offers to us, how we can come alongside of each other and be such a critical part of each, of each other's growth and development. But there's another aspect of community that I really want to uh, just bring, have us bring home from Scripture before we end today, and that's the second point in your outline. I stay the course in my spiritual journey when I fully grasp what community does for others. When I fully grasp what community does for others. Community isn't just about what's in it for me. As a matter of fact, no part of your walk with Jesus is ever just about what's in it for you because Jesus is the perfect model of selflessness, of emptying himself, and if you're gonna follow him and you're truly gonna follow him, it's never gonna be just about you. There will be parts of it that are about you being transformed and being changed, but there will always be a part when you follow Christ that's not about you, and that's part of the beauty of following Christ is it's not a self-consumed or self-focused life. It's an outward-focused life as God does a work of transformation in us, which is just an amazing thing. So part of the reason why we're in community is because of the impact that it has on others. And this is God's principle. Did you know that community gives the world a picture of who God really is? Community gives the world around us a picture of who God really is. Let me explain that. I'm going to give you a brief history lesson from Scripture. In Genesis chapter 12, God introduces us to a man named Abraham, and You could say, it would be fair to say that the previous 11 chapters of Genesis, the first 11 chapters, are about, they're focused on sin and the sin and rebellion of the human race. In those first 11 chapters, there's the fall of man, the flood, the Tower of Babel. You could say that that's the focus of the first 11 chapters of the Bible. But it would also be fair to say that from Genesis chapter 12 through Revelation chapter 22, The rest of scripture is God's answer to the problem of sin and rebellion that we see right at the beginning of scripture. So what happens in Genesis chapter 12 that is so pivotal? What is it that we see happens when we get introduced to this guy named Abraham that turns a corner? Essentially, God comes to Abraham and he says this, I want you to leave your old family and I want you to go to a new place. And in that place, I'm going to make a new nation out of you. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to make you so famous so that the world will be blessed through you and your family. Abraham, I'm going to make a new family for you. I'm going to bless you so that the world will be blessed through you and your family. In other words, Abraham, I'm going to make a community out of you so that the community that you belong to can bless the world. And that's exactly what God did. He had this chosen people, the nation of Israel, that he used as a demonstration or a representation of who he is to the world. So when we follow the story of Abraham, all the way um, whose, whose family later became known as the nation of Israel, when we follow the story of Abraham, we see that God formed them, the nation of Israel, so that they could be a distinctive people who reflect the heart of God to the rest of the world. They were different. Truthfully, they were a little weird according to the surrounding culture that was around them at the time. They lived differently and they stood out. Now catch this. The nation of Israel wasn't just set apart so that they could be God's class pet. They weren't just set apart because God said, there's a certain group of people that I just just like them more or they're my favorites. Even though they failed a lot, God's purpose for the nation of Israel never changed. From its very inception, from the promise that God made to Abraham, 
The concept of becoming God's people is founded on the purpose of being a light to the nations. It was always the goal of God to create a family that could demonstrate and model the purpose of God or the image of God to the rest of the world so that they could be a light to the nations. If you don't believe me on this, check throughout scripture. Every time God spoke to the nation of Israel and every time he speaks to us, he talks about the purpose of his church to be a light in a dark world, the purpose of us being in community. So why do I tell you all this? Because today we are the nation of Israel. If you are a Christ follower, we are the family of God. We are the people of God. We're one local reflection of the family of God here through Daybreak Church. But generally, the body of Christ, we are God's people in this world. We were chosen by him to be a light to the world. Ever since when Jesus, this is part of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, that the gathering of God's people from every nation, every, t- every tongue, every tribe, he wanted them all to, to be able to come together to be a part of his family. This was God's goal for all of us to be able to come together and experience restoration and wholeness and forgiveness and grace and healing that we can't experience apart from the cross. So God made a plan to say, yeah, it's gonna start with the nation of Israel, but then it's gonna go beyond that because once Jesus came and died on the cross, it wasn't just about the Jews anymore. It was then about the Gentiles and it was about all of us who were welcomed into God's family by what Christ did for us on the cross. Let me read to you another verse, another couple verses from scripture that I didn't get into your outline in time this week. So just listen. This is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says this, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests. You're God's holy nation, his very own possession. Why? Why did Peter speak of us that way? This is so that you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. That's why he brought us together. That's why he pulled us into family. So we're called to live as a distinctive community, different from the rest of the world. Probably at times, the world will think we're a little bit weird because we live differently than the way that they think. We stand out in a good way from the rest of the world for the sake of the world. And even today, the fundamental relationship between God and his people remains the same. We are chosen for the sake of the world. God draws us into his family for the sake of others who are not yet a part of his family. You and I are a part of the people of God, and we are set apart to be a living demonstration of the kingdom of God right here on this earth. What an incredible privilege. We're part of a bigger story that God is writing. You have to understand that the magnitude and the scope of God's story and God's plan is huge. It's huge. The story spans all time, all people, all creation. It originates with the love of God and it kind of finds its crescendo through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it continues day by day to seek to draw every person back into restored relationship with God the Father. The scope of God's plan is huge and we're part of the story That's the coolest part. The most beautiful part is that we live the story right now for this time, for such a time as this. You and I, Daybreak Church, the body of Christ, we live God's story so that the world can know it. We live it out. It's seen through the way that we love each other. It's seen through the way that we relate to each other. It's the story of God as told through our lives individually and together. It's an incredible, incredible story. 
Look at these next couple verses. And I want to remind you as we look at these next few verses, these are the words of Jesus to us. The, the very words of Jesus to us. John 17, Jesus says, My prayer for all of them is that they will be one, just as you and I are one, Father. That just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us. And the world will believe that you sent me. The world will believe because of what they see in us. Look at John 13. Jesus says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You can underline that whole last sentence. Your love for one another will show the world that you've been transformed, that you follow me. Your love for each other. I want to tell a better story with my life. We've been talking about this at Daybreak for quite some time now, and I know many of you are on that same journey. You want to tell a better story with your life. And I am so blessed and so thankful to be a part of a church family that tells a better story together. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church family that demonstrates the love of God, the grace of God, uh, the acceptance of God, the beauty of God the compassion of our God, the kindness of our God as we live our lives here in this community. We hear it all the time through Daybreak. We hear it every week from individuals of you who are reaching out to people who are hurting, uh, from ministry teams that are meeting needs in our community. We hear back people say all the time, your church is different. And it's not about your church is different or better than another church. That's not what I'm saying at all. Your church is different from what we experience in our everyday lives. We don't experience that kind of compassion or we don't experience that kind of grace or that kind of acceptance. Or when we come to this church family, we, we've not experienced that kind of welcome that we felt when we came here. We hear it all the time. And so we're thrilled to be a part of a community of believers that is writing a better story. A community of believers that is pointing to Jesus, not just when we assemble together as a large group, but when we live our lives in small communities throughout the week, when we live our lives as Christ followers in families wherever God has placed us. But being in community, whether it's here at Daybreak or whether it's anywhere else, requires sacrifice. And I want you to catch this this morning. Anytime we try to live intentionally in community, whether it's in a marriage or in a family, whether it's in a group or whether it's in a church as a whole, anytime you try to intentionally live in community with other people, it requires sacrifice on your part. It just does. You sacrifice something for the good of others. It requires sacrifice to make community work. And so earlier on this morning when I talked about Alcoholics Anonymous and we talked about how other organizations get this, they get it because they've seen it in the Bible. Alcoholics Anonymous is based on scriptural principles. They get it. They understand that it takes community in order to make a difference, to live out a change in your life. They understand that the way to stay true to your convictions and your commitments is to partner with other people who are pursuing the same path that you're pursuing. And so for us to really follow Jesus, for us to experience what Christ intended for us to experience as a part of his family, we need to experience true community with other Christ followers, the kind of community that God intended for us to have, the kind of community that is key to your growth and it's key to my growth, and the kind of community that's key to the growth of others within our family, the kind of community that gives the world a consistent picture of who our God is. What an amazing chance for us to be a part of that story. But this kind of community requires sacrifice. 
It requires a willingness to sacrifice something of yourself for the good of other people within the community. And sadly, our culture doesn't ever give us that message. Our culture doesn't encourage sacrifice for others. Our culture encourages us to look out for ourselves, to consume more and more for us. And this morning, you have the opportunity to choose to live differently than the message that the rest of the world gets in order to be a blessing to the rest of the world. You have the opportunity to be a part of a community that looks out for each other and sacrifices something as you serve each other. And we have the chance to stand up and be a part of the community that the world is looking for, the one that really represents who Christ is. This is what community does for others. Through our lives, through us living out God's story, it gives the world a picture of who our God is. And I want you to know, Daybreak, that we have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. Would you pray with me? Bow your heads with me. Maybe this whole series, these last three weeks that you've been sitting here and you've been considering the idea of taking your next step of faith, you've been considering the idea of joining some kind of group or maybe bringing new dynamic and new life to the group that you're already in so that others can benefit from community and you can benefit from it as well. But maybe this morning that's, you just put your finger on it and you know that in order to do that, it's going to require sacrifice. And if you were honest this morning, maybe you'd say, you're not sure if you're willing to do that. Your life already seems full. And in order to sacrifice something to be in community with others, you're just not sure that the juice is worth the squeeze this morning, if you were truthful. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to just take a moment, open your heart up to God, and maybe just take this small step of faith and pray this prayer of faith along with me in your heart this morning. Lord Jesus, you are the ultimate model of sacrifice. You sacrificed everything on the cross so that I could be forgiven and so that I could experience grace. Help me to follow your lead so that I'll be able to sacrifice for the sake of others. Jesus, with your help, I want to be a servant to others. Lord, with your help, I want to be Christ to them. God, I want to be humble enough to allow others to serve me. And I want to journey through life with others who love you and who will point me to you. Lord Jesus, would you use my life to point them to you as well? And Lord, I pray that my convictions and my commitments would stay true and that I would be consistent and that the world would have a consistent picture of who you really are through the community that I'm a part of, through the spiritual family that you've given to me. Lord, make, you have blessed me. Make me a blessing to others. And it's in your name that we ask this, Jesus. Amen.
Christ to you. Pray that I might have the grace to let you be my servant too. We are pilgrims on a journey. We are brothers. Thank mm-hmm. you. 